Welcome, future doctors, to another episode of the Future Minority Doctor Podcast with Dr. Sulma and Marina, where we bring you conversations to empower and inspire you to contribute to your community and the world by becoming a doctor. Hello, future minority doctors. Thank you once again for joining us and supporting our podcast. We're always so excited to do a new interview and share how many different minority doctors exist in this country. Thank you for being here today. So many of you already know just from listening to our podcast that only about 5% of all doctors are Black and 5% are Latino, and even less of these percentages and other underrepresented groups. Just by these numbers alone, we can already tell that there are specific challenges to get more minorities to become doctors. Now think about another layer on top of this. There are some underrepresented students out there who would love to become doctors, but yet they face another obstacle. They have a chronic medical condition. Dr. Marina and I have been approached by minority students who have chronic medical conditions and wonder if they could achieve the dream of becoming a doctor. They asked us if we knew any doctors who have chronic medical conditions and made it. Well, ask and you shall receive. I'm here today to give you hope if this is you. Today we have an amazing medical student who will soon be an official doctor to share his journey as he pursues medicine. Please welcome Sergio Villegas, a third-year medical student at Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you will offer hope to many minority students that will relate to you on more than one level. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. Okay, so firstly, Sergio, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us about your upbringing, your background. We just want to know who Sergio is. Sure, yeah. So I'm originally from West Covina, California. My dad is a first-generation Mexican-American. He's like 10 brothers and sisters. Uh, He moved over to this country when he was like 11 years old. So they were were pretty poor. And he was the first person uh, in his family to go to college. And he ended up being a physician himself. So I didn't have to struggle as much as he did in terms of like the socioeconomics. Because, you know, he could afford to send me to good schools. But in uh, high school, I think I was about a junior is when I first had my first flare-up of uh, Crohn's disease, which is like an autoimmune condition where your immune system attacks your intestines. And I ended up getting really sick. I was in the hospital for two weeks. I ended up getting sepsis and meningitis, so I had to kind of drop out of school. So it was kind of that whole experience that kind of introduced me to the world of medicine. Like I know my dad was a doctor, but I never really talked to him about medicine that much until that point. So yeah, from then on, I I was like 100% into the whole medical route. Now you said this was in in high school or in college when you were diagnosed? This was in high school. I was a junior, so I was about 17. Okay, so it was before graduating. Mm -hmm. And then you said that you got really sick, sepsis. Did you say meningitis as well, or yeah? Can you explain what that is and how it's associated with the with what you have with your medical condition? So the medication they have you on for Crohn's disease uh, it works by suppressing your immune system, and so it, I had a really hard time controlling my symptoms at first. So they've had me on very powerful medications. So I, I just ended up getting like a blood infection. Um, it spread to my brain. It was um, it's pretty bad, actually. 
I don't remember too much of it. I was really just remember being exhausted and tired all the time, sleeping, being in a lot of pain. So yeah, it was it was a uh, pretty uh, traumatic for me, but you know I ended up getting through it. Um, so I did have to drop out of um, school for a while, but I ended up being homeschooled so I could keep up, so I could graduate on time. So I was really happy that I was able to graduate with the rest of my class. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, it's it sounds like it was just at that point when you first got diagnosed, it was hard, and you know you you were seventeen. You said so. As a pediatrician, especially in my training, I saw and I still see patients who have what you have. So, and it's it is it is hard, and they have their ups and downs. And when you are hospitalized, you are sick. So, um, I'm glad that that didn't pull you down. Do you feel like this is what inspired you to become a doctor, or was it something else? Oh, a hundred percent. So, my dad's a physician, so I kind of got to see. How do I say this? Like, um, not I wouldn't say the negatives, but you see a lot of the challenges of being a physician when you're mm-hmm. related to someone who's in that field. You know, they're on call all the time. Like, they don't necessarily have as much time for family activities because they're always working. And so I kind of had that exposure early on. So I wasn't really thinking that I wanted to go into that field initially. But it just wasn't until I had my own personal experience um, being in the hospital, having a team of doctors literally save my life, that it kind of changed my whole perspective and made me see like how worth it it is to to do that. You know, it's a it's a calling, and I felt it instantly. It's kind of it's kind of hard to describe. <laughs> yeah, I would I would have thought maybe it was like your dad being a doctor that okay, that's what made it. But it seems like this just going through. You were on the other side, and mm-hmm. you got to see that perspective, and that's really what made solidify the decision of, oh, maybe I do want to become a doctor. What other careers did you ever consider other than being a doctor? So originally, actually, I wanted to be a pilot for the Air Force. I was actually okay. uh, joining up straight out of uh, high school, but I oh, wow. kind of changed those plans around. <laughs> Yeah, that that got nipped in the bud. <laughs> that that would have been pretty impossible for me afterwards because they have pretty strict requirements in terms of your health. Mm-hmm. But I hundred percent fell in love with medicine after that experience I had in the hospital, being a patient myself, seeing what things can help make people's lives better and like what things don't work. Like you know, I've had bad experiences with physicians, you know, who weren't really nice or that good. And just like, okay, well, maybe I could do this better and, you know, make people more comfortable or more less afraid because I was uh, pretty freaked out when this was all happening to me. You know, I I, I thought I was going to die. I was like 100 pounds. I lost so much weight. Uh, Yeah, I was just in a lot of pain. I was fatigued and I didn't know if I was, you know, going to have to get surgery or not. It was just a pretty scary time in my life. So just having a physician there that, you know, will sit down with you, kind of answer all your questions and just be like empathetic, you know, really helped a lot. Well, I'm sure you're going to be a great doctor. You can already relate to patients. I'm sure right now you're in your third year, so you're already doing clinical rotations. Well, with COVID, I don't know how that's been working, but it's that's like the first time that you really get to experience every day 
every week where you're working with a lot of patients that come in with a lot of different things. So do you know what specialty you want to go into yet or, or what specialties are you thinking about? Uh, I'm pretty into emergency medicine right now. And I'm really ah. excited because I have my audition rotations all scheduled up in the fall. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, so between your third and well, starting into your fourth year, you kind of do um, they're almost like little interviews at the hospital and the, the specialty you want to apply to when you graduate, so just so that they get a feel for you better, like who you are as a person. And it kind of helps strengthen your application because if they know you already, they're more likely to accept you. Mm-hmm. So I'm just really excited about doing that. What is it? Because we've mentioned to the listeners um, different fields, and we've also gone through like the medical school process, what it's mm-hmm. like. Um, and you rotate through many different specialties. What was it about emergency medicine that really drew your attention versus all the other things that you went that you've already rotated through? So I like the variety of cases that you could get. You get things that you know are simple, like cuts or broken bones, things that are more serious, like you know heart attacks, people who are in mental crisis. Or, and I just like having that variety. Just uh, you know, it keeps you on your toes. It keeps like I'm. I like helping people, but I'm also really interested in the biological aspect of medicine as well. Like I love learning about how the body works and just how things go together. And so just having that variety really keeps me interested and makes a day like really interesting for me. And I have a lot of fun doing it. I also like doing all the procedures we did. Uh, so a few months ago, I got to do stitches for the first time. It was, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, using the, the ultrasound machines or just learning about all the different tests that you can order. That's really exciting for me. And also, I would say that uh, emergency medicines, they have kind of like the best schedules out of all the specialties. So I kind of like the work-life balance, you know, because I also have to take in consideration like what my limitations are. I can't, I mean, it's possible to uh, have a chronic illness and do a high stress demanding specialty like surgery. Because I've actually met some surgeons uh, with Crohn's disease. But I think for me, I prefer something that has a better uh, work-life balance. You know, you still have more time to decompress. I'm glad you said you said that. Actually, you know, surprisingly, we have a lot of high school students who ask us about the work-life balance. Although they've never met a doctor, they didn't have a father that you got to see how busy they were. But they ask about what it's like with juggling. So, um, and we mentioned this, and it's good that you're already thinking about this before you've made your decision and what specialty, because um, it's different for everyone. But finding that that specialty in medicine that really will suit what your personal needs are, you know. So it's good that you're already thinking about that. They do have nice, pretty nice schedules since it's just shift work. <laughs> when you were deciding to become a doctor. What was the one thing that most made you question yourself if it was an achievable goal? And how would you say you overcame this? Yeah, medical school is it's stressful. It's very demanding on you in terms of, you know, you just have to keep up with all the information. It's like I've heard the saying a lot that medicines like uh, or going to med school is like drinking out of a fire hose. Mm-hmm. You just get all this information blasted at you and you just have to retain as much as you can. You know, honestly, I did struggle academically. I've especially I've been hospitalized more times than I could count. 
luckily I'm a lot better now than I was before. You know, I've finally found the right medication that works for me. But still, I have good days and bad days where like, I'm really tired or I'm in a lot of pain. And, you know, you have uh, an exam coming up and it's really hard to get the energy to to study or to focus or just to retain anything. So I did struggle a little bit academically, but I think the most important thing is to not give up. Like, you know, you're tempted to compare yourself to other people, especially like even if you have a chronic health conditions, like, well, like, look at my classmates and you want to compare yourselves to them, but you got to remember that everybody's different and you don't necessarily know what's going on in other people's lives either. So I think you just need to do what's best for you. And I think, I know you're probably going to talk about this um, later, but I think it's really important how important it is to ask for help if you need it. That's something that I've always struggled with. Like I hated like using that. Uh, to me, it feels like using it as an ex- my health as an excuse, you know? as like uh, an excuse for why I'm not doing as well. But that's not the case at all. Like people are there to support you. And if you need the help, you should ask for it. Whether that's like tutoring, uh, therapy, school has all kinds of resources um, to help you succeed. And, you know, once you become a physician, you're a physician. It doesn't matter what grades you got, what school you went to. We all have to take the same exams and pass it to get licensed. So I, that's the one thing I would say is, yeah, I, I struggled a little bit with my academics, but I passed all my classes. I'm doing well right now and just don't give up. Like even if you have to try a few times, it's you just got to do it. So we actually have an entire podcast episode on asking for help because know, it you know, is... I don't know if that's like a Hispanic thing because I've noticed uh, like other people... I guess like with my dad or just family members, like we just, I don't know, it's a cultural thing. I just have a hard time asking for help, but I've gotten better at that, you know, as I go. Yeah, I agree. I think it's definitely in cultures, we, we have broken it down there. But I think also when you're in the medical school setting, it's even more, I think it's for every student, but it's very pronounced with minorities because there's such a small number there's a concept called stereotype threat. You're trying to undo that stereotype about us being there that we can make it, right? So asking for help then can translate, well, if I ask for help, then that means I'm fulfilling that stereotype that I don't belong here as well. Mm-hmm. So that's actually another component. But I think all a lot of students have um, do struggle with it. But for people who come from underrepresented groups, they do it more. And then on top of that, there's the cultural aspect that you said as well about the asking for help. And you brought up great points that we constantly bring up during our podcast episodes that, you know, that comparing yourself and then even if you fail an exam or struggling academically and so forth. And we talk about it outside of not having a chronic medical condition because Mm -hmm. We've, um, Dr. Marina and I have shared our experiences, like Dr. Marina failed her anatomy course and all everything that she had to go through with that, which really hit internally. And she talks about it in, in several of our episodes. But, you know, a lot of us have failed classes or we've struggled and life happens, whatever it might be. But it's really that persistence that you talk about and that one exam, two or three that you didn't do so hot on because of whatever situation you were going through doesn't define how good of a doctor you're going to be in the future. 
It's just an exam that measures something right at that point in time. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. Because you can take that exam on another day where you're feeling better or doing better, you understand better, and then you do much better. So which one is real, which one isn't? So exactly. I'm glad you said that because you are in the trenches right now as a medical student. <laughs> and maybe even if another medical, we have some medical students that also listen to our podcast as well. So um, for them to hear that because they've struggled as well. Can you, can you talk, I know you've mentioned a little bit, but maybe talk a little bit more in depth, especially for our listeners who have a chronic medical condition, what your journey has been like through college and medical school with Crohn's. Well, so yeah, it's definitely been a, a journey. So yeah, after my first flare up, I went to undergrad at UC Irvine. Uh, so I would have like flare ups, probably like an average of every two to three months. So I, I did, I struggled a lot in undergrad, um, especially uh, with my grades. And I ended up having to apply to med school a few times, actually, because I didn't get in the first time uh, because of my grades. Can, can I just, Irene, did everybody hear that? It's okay if you have to apply more than once. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we have to mention that over and over again to some undergrad students that a lot of people apply more than once. <laughs> but you know what? So what I did is I did what I could to make my application better. I volunteered. I did research. I did all these extracurriculars I could do. And then I ended up going to grad school in uh, Claremont. I got my master's in bioscience because that's one thing. If, you're, if your GPA, if you're an undergrad and your GPA isn't as competitive or where you want it to be, it's totally okay to take more classes or get your master's. Even if it might take a little bit more time, all those things like doing research, volunteering, all that can help strengthen your application. And as long as they see like the improvement, it's fine if you didn't do well in your undergrad courses. You know, they just want to see that you're making improvement, that you're doing things to actually like like you're trying. They want to see that that you're making an effort to, and this is something that you really want to do. If they see you putting in that effort, you know. What type of research and extracurricular activities did you do to strengthen? your application to medical school? So I worked, in, I volunteered at a ER in Orange County, Chalk. I don't know if you guys know where that is, but yeah. So yeah, there was that. And then there's a hospital across the street. I would volunteer from that. Um, so I just like once a week on the weekend, I would do a few hours. And so you don't have to do a whole lot, uh, but you should be consistent. Like you just don't do it just once and then not do it again. You kind of have to, you know, show a record that you're you're doing it. It doesn't have to be like nine hours. It could be just like two or three hours a week or something. And then I worked in um, clinical research after I graduated from uh, my undergrad. I worked at City of Hope, which is a cancer hospital where my mom works at. And they do a lot of um, cancer research there. So I did that during my graduate school. So I was working and I was going to grad school at the same time. Uh, which was a great experience because now a lot of schools are looking for students with more of a research background because they're really trying to emphasize that now in medicine is for physicians to do research. You don't have to do it, but there it, it helps make you look better. And I think the schools, more and more schools are looking for that. So how did how do you just as far as say there's somebody right now that's an, an undergrad? How did what was the actual process of you going to the hospital to volunteer? Do you call someone just walk in there? 
and even for say like the city of hope where you did research how did who did you contact like where do you start where would you tell a student well this is what you have to do here's you know just to get them started sure so most hospitals on their website will have a section where you can get information about volunteering or they might have a contact information of someone you could call so I know like millennials have a hard time or people in my generation have a hard time calling people sometimes, but you know, really you need to get your foot in the door. If there's not like an application online where you can apply to, then you should call or email a contact person and just tell them, hey, like I'm uh, interested in going into medicine. I want to volunteer. Is there, what resources do you have or how can I contribute? How can I help contribute? Just keeping in contact with that person, showing that you're interested, really goes a long way. Don't necessarily wait for them. You don't want to be annoying where you're constantly bothering somebody, but don't wait for someone else to make the first move. You kind of have to show initiative in that regard. And that's something I had to learn, too, myself, that you kind of have to start the initiative. And then for research, I was lucky in that. So my mom is an oncology nurse at City of Hope, and she knew a physician that was doing research. So I got connected to him through her. That's how I got into that whole field. So I met up with lunch with him. I talked about my interest. I told him I was interested in going to med school, and I was interested in doing research with him. If like he had any space for me to help him out, and yeah, he was more than happy to help. And that's how I got it started. Or even in undergrad, a lot of uh, the professors will do research. Um, so you just approach them. And that's a little bit harder to do. I know because my undergrad had like 200 students in it, like in the lecture halls. So it's really hard to build a relationship with a professor with like a huge student body. But again, you just have to show the initiative, talk to them, and just let them know what your interests are and if there's anything that they can do to help. Exactly. How has medical school been like with, you know, the enormous amount of information that you do have to learn and also dealing with the ups and downs with Crohn's disease? And what type of support have you had to ask for in medical school? And I ask this because I think the students that have asked us is it would if I get sick and have to lose out on school. What happens then? Like, does the medical school let me retake the course or do they push me back? They, it's knowing how to navigate the system while you're in medical school. What have you done and what type of services have you received from the medical school? Sure. So my school has a office for disabled students. So I actually applied for that. So if I have to get hospitalized, then I don't have to go through the same hoops that like if I didn't have a disability I would have to go through so like they know that I have this chronic medical condition so if I need extra time on a test or if I need to uh, reschedule an exam I have that documentation already in place which makes it easy for me to do so that's something I had to apply to on my own I was hesitant to do that because like I hate thinking about myself as somebody with a disability but at the same time, I had to be realistic. You know, I've been hospitalized before, and I don't know when it's going to happen. So it could happen like right before I have an exam, and it has. So you just have to be realistic of what your limitations are. And it's not that you're you're weaker or that you're taking advantage of the system. It's not. It's really you 
you're doing what you need to do so that you could be successful, so you could graduate. And the other resources um, most schools will offer is um, some counseling. Uh, there's been a few times where I've had to go in and talk to a counselor because, you know, as if you have um, chronic medical conditions, you know, you can have your really bad days and it's okay to talk to someone about it. Like, I think the worst thing you can do is just kind of keep it all inside because uh, you, you just need an outlet. You need, you need something to, or someone to bounce ideas off of or just get advice from. And it helps. It does. It really does. And there's also tutoring. They have students that will come uh, who have taken the classes that you have before and who've done well. Um, they could tutor you and help you be more successful on exams. So I've done that as well. Yeah, I think that's what I've done so far. The Office of Disability, um, is that from the undergraduate campus or from the actual medical school campus? So it's from the whole university. So it applies both to the undergrad and to the graduate schools. Oh, okay. I think most schools have an office like that. You could look up on their website, whichever school that you're going to or applying to, and you could take a look. They have uh, sections where you can look at what resources they offer. That's amazing. I never had heard about that. And I think that's very useful. So when, if a student is applying to medical school, even just a quick Google search to see if the, which medical schools or which that they're affiliated with, which university have that, because that'll be uh, very supportive in the event that you have to miss out because you're hospitalized or you're sick or whatever it might be. So, oh, I didn't know that. That's wonderful. And they kind of navigate everything when are they the ones that contact the medical school and notify them hey there he's going to be out for a little bit or how, what do they do like what's what's the role that they actually play so they would advocate for you if like you have to be hospitalized they say okay you know the student needs um, to retake the exam without a penalty because you know they're in the hospital and you know obviously you need documentation of that but they will work with you and advocate on your behalf with uh, your professors or uh, with the school and kind of uh, open up more resources for you also like if you need extra time on exam or if you have to take an extended period off of school uh, that they'll work with you with that or if you need someone to take notes they have um, note takers that they hire that's amazing. Did you use it during undergrad as well? I did not. So yeah, I told I, I had a really hard time asking for help. It wasn't until recently that I started kind of being more reflective and just started asking for more help. But yeah, I've I've had that experience where it was really hard for me to mm-hmm. or even to tell people that I had something going on. Mm-hmm. I, I hated telling other people you know, that I have this issue. Yeah. A large part of that too is because I feel sometimes people will then want to define you yeah. as that. And, yeah. and well, you, I mean, you're in medicine, so that's like one thing that we know, do not define a person by their medical condition. They are who they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you set that outside. That's just a part of it, but that's not who the person is. So um, definitely understand that. Um, well, that's that's very helpful. And even for me that I still see kids that have, you know, other than inflammatory bowel disease, other chronic medical conditions that do want to pursue higher education. This is great. I'm going to use this actually at work with my patients. So thanks for sharing that. I had no idea. 
So what is the best so far from your from being in medical school? What is the best thing you like about medicine? And what is what would you say is the hardest part about medicine so far? My favorite part is my clinical experience. It's just that face to face interaction with the patients just talking to them. I really love that. Just hearing their experiences and their stories and just helping them just make their lives a little bit better that's really rewarding for me and it makes like all the stress of um, medicine med school it seems worth it to me i forget about like all the stress in my life and just like focus on helping them so really it's really great for me Uh, i think the hardest part is figuring out how to manage your time because med school is very demanding Uh, you have to do all these things i keep up with all your classes with all the readings, all the homeworks, and all your exams. And also, you still have to do extracurriculars as well. So just learning how to balance your time and not kind of get burned out by all the stress and finding outlets to um, kind of decompress. Like, I like going hiking. In the winter, I would go up skiing because, you know, I'm in Michigan. <laughs> we got the snow here. So just that's that's probably the challenging, the most challenging part for me is just keeping my stress levels down and uh, keeping up with all my academics, but I've been doing it. Doing it. Got one more year left. I've been doing well in school. Definitely a lot better than I was doing in undergrad. So making progress in that regard. (laughs) Oh, good. And then you also make time to spend time with friends and also, right? Because I think also it's very important. There's so much that you have to make sure to balance that time, which I assume you go skiing with friends, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you learn how to ski out there? Or did you already know how to ski? I've gone snowboarding a few times in California. Um, but yeah, I guess skiing was something I just got into this year, actually. That's neat. Uh, do you feel that you've encountered any obstacles that were more so related to just your background? Because I, I don't know what your school, medical school is like. Um, but usually there's a very small amount of underrepresented students in the class. Have you felt any type of obstacles related to your background while you've been in medical school? In terms of my social economic background, I don't really think so. More so with my health, uh, I guess, because my my experience is a little bit different. So I'm a second generation. Um, you know, my dad went through all those struggles that I didn't have to, frankly, go through. Because, mm-hmm. like, you know, he grew up poor and he was the first person in his family to go to college. So he had to figure out everything on his own and it must have been much harder for him. But, I mean, I was fortunate enough to have parents who could afford to send me to good schools. So I feel like in that regard, I didn't really have to struggle as much mm-hmm. as maybe other minorities who you know, were the first person in their family to go to school or who are economically disadvantaged. Who has been your mentor along the way? Do you think it's been your dad or have you actually had other mentors along the way? My dad was some things. Uh, um, He didn't have like the health problems I did. So it was kind of harder in that regard. But in terms of him giving me advice on, you know, where to look for scholarships, because, you know, school's not cheap. And like I'm paying for medical school myself right now. So I had to get a bunch of loans. So he kind of helped guide me through that process in terms of like clubs to join like there's tons of student organizations like for latinos or any other represented minorities there's uh, different organizations you could join and they have 
resources and scholarships and workshops and people give talks and it's really useful to join them to figure out and to gain access to the resources to really help you get ahead. Agreed. I used all of those. (laughs) If if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self um, in high school or college, what advice would you give yourself? Uh, Don't give up. Things do get better. Like I didn't know I was going to get into med school for a while because I I thought like uh, I wasn't I wasn't smart enough or I didn't have what it took to get in, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. Like I never questioned that I wanted to do anything else. And failing sucks. Like it doesn't feel good. And I think a lot of people just give up. Like they don't they don't want to fail. No one wants to fail. But you just have to learn from your mistakes and do better the next time. If you fail, then try again. It worked out for me. Yep, you're living proof. <laughs> and what advice would you give to younger people about pursuing a career in medicine that have chronic medical conditions? I would say get some um, exposure to it. Like even as a high school student, you can do scribing or you could shadow a physician. You could just call someone up and say, hey, like I'm a student, I'm interested in going to the med building. Would it be all right if I could shadow you or if I could scribe for you? And just find people to talk to to make sure that's really what you want to do. Just look up resources, um, things that can help you better be more successful. Like there's tutoring, there's volunteering or work experiences and just go for it. And even if you fail, you know, just keep trying. Well, I'm very inspired by you today, Sergio, with everything. I mean, there's been so many things that you've gone through and your persistence to continue is why you're where you're at today. And I think you're going to be such a great doctor. (laughs) I mean, even in the emergency room, I think being an ER doctor, the something special that I felt about it while I was rotating through it is you are that first face where usually the patients are most vulnerable because of a situation that got them there, the pain that's involved when they are there. So just being able to have that compassion and really put yourself in their shoes. I mean, you're, you're already like a hundred steps ahead. So I'm glad you would be an ER doctor. I would like to go to. Anything else before we close off? No, no, I think that's it. I mean, thank you for reaching out to me. Like, I haven't, I haven't really talked to anyone about this before. And if I could help somebody um, who's going through something similar to I was, and I think it's worth it. You know, I know sometimes we're embarrassed to talk about like our health, but yeah, I think it's important to share our experiences and help build each other up. So yeah, thank you for doing this. And thank you for sharing. I think it is scary to open up when we've gone through things. We have, Dr. Maureen and I have been very open about our life experiences and things we've gone through. We talk a lot about suffering from depression, which is hard for many. And I will tell you, Sergio, that we've had students reach out to us and tell us, it's so good to hear that you're going through what I'm going through, but you can still make it. So I think you being here today and sharing your story you will touch a lot of people's lives that are scared to talk about it as well. So don't be surprised if afterwards they ask us if they can reach out to you. 
don't worry, I won't give your email or personal information. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah, it's okay. Well, thank you all for listening to our podcast today. I hope that hearing Sergio's soon-to-be Dr. Villegas inspires you to continue your dream of becoming a doctor. Although the journey will be difficult at times, the dream is within reach if you have hope and persistence. Remember, not everyone's journey will be the same, but the outcome is. Focus on the end point, which is being a doctor. All of our paths will be different, and it's okay as we've said it many, many times before. I'm a strong believer that our experiences that have made us resilient will make us better doctors for our patients. So keep hope. Again, thanks. Remember to share this podcast with your friends and families as we are here to inspire a new generation of doctors regardless of the situation. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Remember, you could also visit our website for additional resources at www.futureminoritydoctor.com. And if you are 18 years or older, please donate through our website to help our efforts in production of the podcast. Any donation is much appreciated to keep these efforts going. But if you can't donate, don't worry. Please keep listening because we're here for you. Peace and love.